Hey there, future fans. This week, we finally go on vacation. We finally let loose. And we finally let it go. This is the week of May 1st, 2020. And this is episode 172 of Future Flicks with Billiam. everyone welcome to the show that's right it is now may where has april gone well normally i think i would say something like that but with all the all the goings on in the world it feels like the month has dragged on longer than it normally does right because how often when it's a new month do you hear oh wow it's this month already where has the time gone but now i kind of feel like we know where the time's gone and i've been enjoying it you know sitting at home with my wife watching tv dr- reading books as i say drinking books drinking books eating movies you know how it goes but also there's nothing else to there's nothing to cut through that we can't leave to go see a movie we can't go out to dinner at a restaurant we can't go on a day trip somewhere so still not bad things could be worse and luckily they are not i say as my wife coughs in the background stay away from me or not you know how it goes well ladies and gentlemen this week we have four movies to talk about i sent you home with your uh well Homework. We had Extraction on Netflix. We had Booksmart on Hulu. We had Midsummer on Amazon Prime and Frozen 2 on Disney Plus. I kind of cheated as I had already seen Booksmart and Frozen 2. Extraction and Midsummer were the new ones. And I semi cheated because, well, I can, but also it, it frees up more time to uh, get some reading done and then, well, I'll be honest, mostly play Animal Crossing, which I'm still doing. Uh, I'm not getting as, as into it as a lot of people. I have seen some crazy islands out there. And it'd be interesting to know the amount of people who go so hardcore into games, what is their burnout rate? Will I be able to enjoy Animal Crossing more because I don't go as crazy as some people do? Well, anyway, we will see. As for now, let me tell you what you're listening to. Well, my friends, you are listening to a show called Future Flicks with Billiam. And on this show, we're doing something a little new because theaters aren't open, even though they may be opening soon in certain states. But until we're fully in the clear... I'm going to keep the show going in this way, in which I do the normal news and trailers, that is, go over all the new news and all the new trailers since the last episode. Well, technically, only the ones that caught my eye. And then instead of talking about the movies that are coming out during the week, I will go over four movies that I've seen recently, or have seen or rewatched, that are available on streaming services, giving you something to watch now that you're home way more often. I'll say it again, the movies for this week were Extraction on Netflix, Booksmart from Hulu, Midsummer from Amazon Prime, and Frozen 2 from Disney+. Plus. Well, you know what? Let's not beat around the bush any longer. Let us jump right into the news, and there was actually some news. What am I doing? I, I didn't do the proper intro. I'm sorry. <clears throat> so let's start with the first segment, which, as always, is the news. It's just in from Hollywood, the news. Ah, they're better. I know you're worried. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to worry you. I'm still me. I am not a pod person. You know, I wouldn't be surprised in a few years if we see a spoof movie called Invasion of the Detergent Snatchers, but it's Tide Pod people. Ah, that would be funny. Or just, you know, too much. We'll see. Anyway, on with the news. Uh, One piece of news I caught first from the rap... Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker is coming to streaming earlier than believed, about two months early. It's hitting Disney Plus on May 4th, to which I ask, why was that not the plan to begin with on May 4th? To put the final Skywalker series movie on Disney Plus. What better date could there be? Well, alternatively, you could have gone with May 25th, as in certain areas like Los Angeles County, that is declared Star Wars Day because May 25th was when the original Star Wars was released. Either way, 
May the 4th is now the more widely recognized Star Wars Day, so why not put that on the streaming service then? Why was this supposed to come out and hit streaming services, let's see, it's two months early? In July. Why in July? I bet you the release date was planned and there was some algorithm or some some equation they used this, to say that, oh, it's been this long after the movie hit theaters, this long after it came out to own, so we should do it on this date. And then someone went, hey, you, you bunch of idiots, why don't we do this on May 4th? And then everyone went, of course. That's, you know, that's probably what happened. In a story from Flickering Myth that actually deals with a story from last week, it looks like the movie Silver Black, which was the Silver Sable and Black Cat movie, which I had reported was actually canceled in favor of a solo Black Cat movie. Well, now it's looking like it can become or may become, I'm sorry, a limited series on Disney+. Plus. But now, if you remember, I also reported last week that Sony apparently still has a metric crap ton of Marvel characters that they own the rights to, most of them being somehow related to Spider-Man. Well, if this news of it coming to Disney Plus is true, it could be a sign that Disney Plus or Disney Plus Disney and Sony are working together even better because it seems like there are more Spider-Verse spinoffs in the works, and maybe Sony will secure rights with Disney Plus to be the sole owner of these shows. But of course, only time will tell. And where did that news about the Black Cat movie come from? Was that just speculation? It could have been. Maybe it could have been speculation that they heard that the, it was no longer becoming a movie. So then someone said, oh, maybe it's because Black Cat is badass on her own. Of course, it is still way too early to tell. This plan can go bust any moment, or it could go all the way to fruition. We will see. And ladies and gentlemen, in, in this current time of movies being pushed back more and more and more, we actually have a movie coming out that's getting an earlier than expected release date. This is Hotel Transylvania 4. This story comes to us from CBR. The fourth movie, obviously, in the Hotel Transylvania series was originally expected on December 22nd of next year. There's a catch of next year. Now it looks like it's moving up to August 6th. Could this have anything to do with all of these big budget movies being pushed back and the Christmas season being a big time for movies? Summer blockbusters, Christmas movies. Those, those are the big ones. So maybe with all these films being pushed back, maybe, just maybe, that had something to do with this movie being moved because August 4th is at the end of the summer season. It may have to do battle with some Disney property of some sort or something big from Warner Brothers, but so far this is the only movie that I've heard of that's getting released sooner. And my friends, I know I just said that a movie was pushed forward, but now here's another confirmation of a pushed back movie. Doctor Strange 2 has been pushed back four months to March 2022. This comes to us from director Sam Raimi, so let's keep an eye out for his car. This next story comes to us from The Playlist. Seth Rogen's new movie, An American Pickle, originally set for a theatrical release, is now being shipped to HBO Go. There is no official release date yet. All we know is it's going to be sometime this summer. So hey, if you have HBO Go or you didn't spoil your HBO Go free trial on Game of Thrones, then maybe you'll have a new movie to watch. An American Pickle comes from writer Simon Rich and director Brandon Trost. Simon Rich, who is a writer for Saturday Night Live for a number of years, wow, for 13 years it looks like, and still working, a writer on the movie Inside Out, Man Seeking Woman, the TV show, and Miracle Workers, the TV show, and the director, Brandon Trost, has a man bun, but I'm not judging. This will be his first feature-length film. And to let you in on the premise, an immigrant worker at a pickle factory is accidentally preserved for 100 years and wakes up in modern-day Brooklyn. Of course, what else would it be about? And this next story comes to us from Deadline. One more movie skipping theaters coming to VOD is The King of Staten Island. This is a Judd Apatow movie starring Pete Davidson. Was originally set to come out in theaters on June 19th, but will now come out on video on demand June 12th. This is a semi-autobiographical... Oh, I almost said that in one take. I'll just leave it. It's not perfect, but... You know, it worked. You know what I was talking about. Comedy drama about Pete Davidson growing up in Staten Island, including losing his father during 9-11 and entering the world of stand-up comedy. This stars, well, him. <laughs> it stars Pete Davidson, Marissa Tomei, Steve Buscemi, Bill Burr, 
Let's see. Machine Gun Kelly. And, you know, other people. So keep an eye out for that if you're a fan of Pete Davidson. So I'm looking through stories that that broke today, and I misread this so bad. So the title is called Never Have I Ever, Giving Teens a Heroine to Love in a World of Diversity and Warmth. And my mind just blanked out the A. I saw Never Have I Ever, Giving Teens Heroine to Love in a World of Diversity and Warmth. I think that's a great example of how removing or adding a word from a title, from a a name, or anything like that could just change everything about it. And this final story, My Future Friends, comes to us from Slash Film. If you're a fan of the Hellraiser series, there's a TV series of it coming to HBO with David Gordon Green to direct. You may be asking yourself some questions, like, Who is David Gordon Green? Well, David Gordon Green is a director who worked on the Halloween reboot. And let's be clear, and Anne pointed this out to me that I should be clear about it. This is the latest Halloween reboot, not the awful Rob Zombie ones. Look, I get it. I know Rob Zombie has some fans and uh, I just want to smoke whatever they smoke. But until I get my hands on whatever miracle drug that is, I think he is garbage at anything beyond music. Rob Zombie is still, in my mind, one of the most entertaining concerts I've ever been to. But as far as the director goes, I'm going to put him with Eli Roth. I like Eli Roth as an actor, as a director, not so much. Of course, there is no set release date for this Hellraiser TV series, but I just hope they they kind of do it from Hellraiser 2 on, because I think Hellraiser was the more boring movie. Because, of course, Hellraiser was based on a book by Clive Barker. Actually, I think the book came first because I own a copy of the book because I haven't given it away yet. And it does it doesn't say anything about now a movie coming to theaters near you on the cover. And it's funny in in one of the articles about this in the one from Collider, it says the graphically violent gothically vulgar horror property hellraiser and i love that by by today's standards that is such a tame film that might get a pg-13 rating i kind of lost the plot didn't i oh well well hellraiser tv show coming to hbo uh we'll see if they go the sequel route with it or the original route with it basically is it going to be full of cinnabites or is it going to be kind of boring We'll see. Well, my future friends, that is it for the first part of the show. Let us take our first break as we hear a word from our friends at the Somewhat Nerdy Radio Podcast. Please stay tuned. Are you looking for a nerd podcast that touches on every walk of nerd culture? Well, look no further. Somewhat Nerdy Radio is the podcast for you. We cover nerd culture, news, new movie reviews, bad movie reviews, video games, comics, with sprinkles of nerdy nostalgia throughout. Somewhat Nerdy Radio is a flagship podcast of the Somewhat Nerdy Podcast Network. Find us on every podcast app or stream it on somewhatnerdy.com. Good journey, nerds. And we're back with everyone's favorite segment, The Trailer Trove. Avast, and welcome to The Trailer Trove. There, see, I remembered that intro. I totally didn't have to go back and re-record the news intro. <laughs> Not at all. All right, my future friends, first up in the trailer trove, uh, Slim Pickens this week. And no, I'm not talking about the pilot that rides a bomb. And I would love to know if anyone got that reference. It's not super obscure, but eh. Anyway, the first movie we're talking about this week is a Netflix original film called The Wrong Missy. This starring, of all people, David Spade. It also stars Lauren Lapkiss, who you would know from Orange is the New Black and Jurassic World. Also has Nick Swardson in it, Vanilla Ice, Sarah Chalk, and uh, let's see, who else? Oh, John Farley's in it. He's the younger brother of Chris Farley. Oh, that's so sweet. Uh, Supermodel Molly Sims is also in this, but this is a rom-com heavier on the com. And if you know David Spade movies, this this is one without feeling dated. A guy meets the woman of his dreams and invites her to his company's corporate retreat in Hawaii, but he realizes he sent the invite to the wrong person. The wrong Missy, not the supermodel level Missy he met and seemed to hit it off with, but a blind date he went on with someone of the same name. Because yeah, let's keep everyone in your contacts, right? Right? 
Yeah. Oh, and of course, Rob Schneider's in this. I don't know how big his role is. I, th- I think it's pretty small, but, you know, anytime one of them does a movie, the other one's in it. And honestly, there's nothing wrong with that. If I had a movie I was starring in and I had enough clout, I would get all of my friends in it. Anyway, this looks like a kind of what you come to expect from Netflix, because Netflix really runs the gamut when it comes to movies. But this one falls right in the middle of one that's not great, not bad. I'll be honest, I still haven't seen Irishman, so I'm just using it as an example. We have the Irishman that won awards... And then we have their, like, Netflix original Christmas movies that don't start anyone big. Like, not even Mario Lopez is in it. So I think this film will fall directly in the middle. It looks cute. It looks predictable, though. Just one look at the trailer, unless they surprise me, just one look at the trailer tells you everything that's going to happen. But, of course, it's something new. And, honestly, what else do you have going on? That film comes out May 13th. Next up, folks, we have a... A trailer for the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt TV movie, well, Netflix movie, Kimmy versus the Reverend. This is the final Kimmy Schmidt thing we're getting, supposedly. The entire cast comes back. That's Ellie Kemper, Carol Kane, Jane Krakowski, Titus Burgess, and select side characters are coming back too. And added to the cast is Daniel Radcliffe. And this movie takes place before Kimmy's wedding. Yes, time has passed. She is getting married to Daniel Radcliffe. But she finds something. She's going through her old backpack. And if you ever watched Kimmy Schmidt, if you watched the whole show, you know what backpack that is. And she finds a library book that was checked out after she was captured, which to her means that there is a there was another girl in the bunker that she doesn't remember that the Reverend kidnapped. So she goes to confront the Reverend and he lets it be known that there's another bunker with more women. So more mole women need to be saved. Kimmy's on the case. Or is she? Because that's all up to you. This is one of Netflix's interactive movies, just like that episode of Black Mirror. So what happens is all up to you. And it looks like from the trailer that some of the choices are obvious. Like, oh, what do you do? Do you just get married and ignore the women? Or do you go look for the new group of mole women? Two more mundane things, like does she kiss her fiancé or not? This is set to come out May 12th, so that's pretty soon. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's actually it for the for the trailer trove that weren't a lot of movie trailers out there there were some interesting tv trailers but yeah you know i try not to do those unless i'm super stoked about it so let us take our next break as we hear a word from our friends at the nerds of the squared circle podcast please stay tuned nerds of the squared circle on somewhatnerdy.com nerds of the squared circle on somewhatnerdy.com nerds of the squared circle on somewhatnerdy.com Hi, I'm Sam Jericho of SomewhatNerdy.com's Nerds of the Squared Circle. Join me, Snarf Chris, and the dude with the headband. We talk about wrestling and more wrestling. Do you like wrestling? Yeah! Yeah. Then you should listen to our podcast. Do you not like wrestling? You should still listen to our podcast. SomewhatNerdy.com's Nerds of the Squared Circle. Subscribe to us on iTunes or your favorite podcast app today. Nerds of the Squared Circle on SomewhatNerdy.com. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're back. We are back with the movies. And remember, we're talking about Extraction, Booksmart, Midsummer, and Frozen 2. So let's do it in this order. Let's do it with the two that I've seen before and the two that are, and then the two that are new to me. So let's start with Frozen 2 and Booksmart and then Midsummer and Extraction. So let us start with Frozen 2. This is a movie from 2019 and it's a sequel to Frozen. Who saw that coming, right? In this movie, Anna... Elsa, Kristoff, Olaf, and Sven are on a trip. They leave Arendelle to travel to an ancient, autumn-bound forest of an enchanted land. Ooh! They set out to find the origin of Elsa's power in order to save their kingdom. This features the returning vocal cast of Kristen Bell, Indina Menzel, Josh Gad, Jonathan Groff. And besides that main cast, we have Sterling K. Brown, Evan Rachel Wood, Alfred Molina, Jason Ritter, Jeremy Sisto, and Alan Tudyk. And so I went into this movie expecting two things. Well, not really expecting two things. I went into this movie with two two opposing points of view. So I saw this after it came out already. I bought it because I had a Disney Movie Club membership, which I, I think I'm going to do a blog post about, and then I'll tell you about it because it's really not worth it. But Frozen 2 was the final movie on the Disney Movie Club thing, and I already had some preconceived notions in my head. The first came from an episode of the Soundtrack Show podcast where they interviewed the songwriters for Frozen, and 
they said that they really didn't plan on doing a sequel or doing anything else unless it felt right, unless they had a good idea. They didn't just want to make more money. And so, naively, I believed them. Then also we had a good friend from work, Carrie Ann, who is a huge movie buff. She went and saw Frozen 2. Just one day she had some random free time, saw it in the theaters, and hated it. Now, it could be said that she's not the ideal or target audience for a movie like Frozen 2, but I believe she is enough of a cinephile to be able to appreciate something even if she is not the target audience, and she had very little good to say about the film. So now it came the time to watch it at this very residence, and we watched it, and... God, it sure was a movie. I mean, we can definitely say one thing is for certain, it is a movie. And just a quick reminder, I said it last episode, I forgot to say it earlier in this episode, so I'm sorry if I wasted your time, but I am not going to give any spoiler-free anything about these films. Normally on Future Fucks with Billiam, the only spoilers you have to worry about are spoilers due to maybe the sequel of a movie coming out, so thus I will talk about the first one. Or, if I talk about a current movie, I'll at least give a month, sometimes sometimes more, depending on the film. But normally I go under the assumption that if you care enough, if you care enough about spoilers, you will find time. I understand, life doesn't always work like that. I get it. But I'm not going to keep the most extreme circumstances in mind every time I do something, especially for something as non-important as spoilers. So now that I gave you a spoiler warning, god damn, I hated the I just hated the pacing of the movie and I know I've been saying that a lot lately. I've been saying this so much about pacing in films that either they should be longer or shorter. Well, this is one of those that should be longer because they had a good idea. This was a good idea, the the bare bones of it. We have Elsa who has powers. How'd she get her powers? F*** if I know. Maybe we should find out about it. That is a lie, though. I now know how she got her powers, but before I watched the film, I had no idea. Let's find out about this. This is a good idea. Also a good idea, this hidden, this hidden village somewhere in the woods that is not a hidden ninja village, if you're a fan of Naruto. No, it, it's an old frenemy. I guess, of Arendelle. And one day, the two countries were coming together over a dam being built by Arendelle for this other village as a sign of peace. But no, there was a fight and, a, and people were assassinated and everything's bad. And then the village was covered in a mist that no one was able to get through for decades until Elsa comes along and she can just walk right through because she is a freaky witch and she should be burned at the stake. I am kidding. No, she has the powers needed to get through and it's through this other culture, this other village that they learn more about their people and Elsa's powers. And I liked this idea, but it just seemed that once they got through the mist, everything just took off at the speed of light. So we had Kristoff wanting to propose to Elsa. Great. I like it. I ship them. I'm not familiar with Jonathan Groff as an actor, but he has a good voice. And I like Kristen Bell. And actually, I, I was about to bitch about it, but I think their story was the only part of the movie that wasn't paced terribly. There were funny moments. Like, whoops, I'm proposing to you, but it's not actually you because I can't see you because of Miss, it's someone else. Oh, you come in afterwards, but I'm all flustered. Whoa, whoa. So we had Kristoff wanting to propose to Anna. Great. We had Anna doing her own thing, which is getting to the bottom of what caused the the fight between the two people when they had just when they had just finally reached a peace. And also we had Elsa trying to find out like how her powers came to be. And then those two storylines I think moved way too fast because when it all came to an end, I really didn't care. Elsa could have died and I would have been, oh well, that's too bad. Oh yeah, and Olaf's in the movie too. He He's there. But this is a classic case of a movie that tried to do too much. And like I've said before about, about animated movies or kids' movies, you don't want them too long, obviously, because kids can't stay still. I don't think it w would have worked well for kids as a longer film, at least not in theaters. It would have done better on Disney+, Plus, you know, after the fact, because you can pause it and go to the bathroom whenever you want, or if the kid starts to get antsy, you could pause it and come back to it later. But it wouldn't have done well longer in the theaters, but I think a longer film or cutting one of those plot points would have served better. 
Like, maybe have Anna and Elsa's story tied directly into each other. I mean, they are tied together, obviously, but have the, have the paths they take line up so well that the resolution is just more fulfilling. This could have been a much, much better movie. The songs also weren't as memorable. I, I can't remember a single song from the first one. Where from Frozen 1... I still remember, of course, Let It Go, and Do You Want to Build a Snowman? Oh, and that song Kristoff sings in the stable, Reindeers are better than people. I remember that song. I remember no songs from the new movie. So, despite a cute storyline with Kristoff trying to propose to Anna, and funny Olaf moments, this movie was 100% forgettable and skippable, and I can't believe I am agreeing with the Metascore from Metacritic. The Metascore is 64 out of 100, and I give this movie a 5.5 out of 11. Okay, I guess if I agreed with them more, it would be a 50, they would have to have given it a 55 or me a 6.5, but I didn't want to be that nice to this film. I didn't hate it. I just didn't love it. And I think the fact that it disappointed me so much had a lot to do with the low score. If the first Frozen was more of just a mediocre at best movie, then maybe this would have come across better going, oh, what else did I expect? It's like comparing Tremors 2 to Tremors 1. I love the Tremor series. Don't get me wrong. They're goofy. They're fun. But Tremors 2 is exactly what I expected. All right. Well, let's talk about Booksmart and then we can get along with the next break. Booksmart came out in 2019 and it's from director Olivia Wilde. It stars Caitlin Deaver, who you would know from the show Justified or Last Man Standing. Beanie Feldstein from Neighbors 2, Sorority Rising, Billy Lord from Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, Skylar Gizondo from Santa Clarita Diet, Jessica James from the Netflix special The Incredible Jessica James, Jason Sudeikis from We're the Millers, Lisa Kudrow from Friends, and Will Forte from MacGruber. I remember when MacGruber came out, uh, my friends and I went and saw it. We were stoked because there were a lot of uh, a lot of wrestlers in it, including my favorite wrestler, who is and always will be Chris Jericho. It also had uh, Mark Henry Big Show, I believe. Was Big Show in it? Yes. Big Show, a.k.a. Paul Wright is his real name. Kane, also known as Mayor Glenn Jacobs. And so we were stoked that all of these wrestlers were in this movie and then they all died in the same scene leaving us with nobodies like Ryan Felipe and Val Kilmer and Kristen Wiig. Who are they? Maya Rudolph? Who's that? I'm joking, of course, but I was excited to see a bunch of wrestlers in a movie and then gone. You know, now that I think about it, there are a lot of movies that would have done better if streaming services were a thing back then, like MacGruber. I think it would have done a lot better had Netflix, in its current form of streaming, been available at the time. But again, I digress. Booksmart, a comedy from 2019, and you may have heard me talk about this movie a couple times. It's because I really, really liked it. Because I think this is this generation's, or should be at least, this generation's super bad. I remember Super Bad came out. We It kind of introduced us to Jonah Hill. Uh, some people knew Michael Sarah already. And this also introduced us to... Emma Stone, this was her, uh, Superbad was her first big movie. She had only done TV before then, but that was all the way back in 2007. And it made quite a few waves. All of my friends were talking about it. Like, this is the movie you had to see. Hey, do you remember high school? This movie will remind you. Oh, when that, when that movie came out, I had been out of high school for six years, I think in 2007. But the good thing about Superbad is I, I do think it aged well. I mean, I haven't watched it in about, in about five years, so please forgive me if this is wrong. But from what I remember, it, there's nothing really that makes you go, whoa, you can't say that now. It's not like great movies like Breakfast at Tiffany's, where you're watching it going, oh man, cinema was great back then. And then you see Mickey Rooney and you're like, oh God, that's right. Love Mickey Rooney, by the way. It's just a little cringy to watch those scenes now. But from my recollection, remember it's been a while, Superbad didn't have that. Well, now in 2019, we had a movie coming out that was being compared to it that had a main female cast. Instead of two dudes, it was two girls. But the bare bones plot is very similar. 
the last hurrah, a big party, some crazy night. But Booksmart had a very fine line to walk. There is a very fine line when you're doing a high school party movie. And no matter what else you can say about Booksmart, at its core, it's a high school party movie. There's a very fine line where there are a million different tropes you can fall into, a million different traps of easy jokes. And when I was watching Booksmart, I noticed that they really didn't go for the easy jokes. You had your different types, you had your rude humor, you had slapstick, you had all kinds of different things, but none of it made me go, oh yeah, just like this other movie. Oh yeah, that's just like this scene in Superbad, just like this scene in Airplane, just like this scene in uh, 21 Jump Street. The movie presented itself very well. The characters were very well done. We had, what are the names? Amy and Molly, two mega nerds graduating at the top of their class, find out that they spent their entire high school career like not hanging out, not partying, just studying. And some of the kids that partied and did all that stuff too got into similar schools or schools that are just as good. And they, they're like, you know what? Let's do it. Let, uh, on this final night, let's do something crazy. And they do and hilarity ensues. And it was a refreshing movie because we have Beanie Feldstein. Did I say Feldman when I introduced her the first time? Feldstein, Beanie Feldstein, who is a plus size woman, but that never came up when she was made fun of and hated on by the other kids. It had nothing to do with her size, had nothing to do with looks or anything. It was the fact that her character was a stuck up biatch. Why didn't they like Amy, Caitlin Deaver's character? She never hung out. They never hung out. They were never part of the crowd. They didn't fit in because they didn't try to. And that is a very good message to send too, like you don't have to go and join all the clicks, but you know, put yourself out there a little bit. So this versus Superbad, where Superbad was more of a shallow, I want to get laid story. Booksmart, okay, it, it kind of had that subplot, but it wasn't the focus. The focus was them learning, them realizing the error of their ways, them learning life lessons before they graduate high school, learning what is probably the most important life lesson they'll learn. And if you ever heard me mention it before, I have a terrible memory, like really, really bad. So I forget what movie it was, but recently I was talking about a film that I said I had already forgotten a big part of it. Like it didn't leave an impact on me, so I already forgot it. Booksmart is quite the opposite. It's been a while since I watched this one. It's been, I watched it on January 4th. And I still remember certain scenes vividly. I still remember certain jokes. The movie has stayed with me. The fact that I was so impressed with the writing that no one was a tropey character stayed with me. Like all of the other students that that Amy and Molly never hung out with, all of those ones that were party animals and stuff, they were still good characters. They weren't a-holes. I mean, kind of some of them were kind of asshole-ish at times, but they're kids. What do you expect? Teenagers are the worst. But book smart, bare bones is a recycled idea, but everything else around it was new and different and unique. Everything else about it was very bright, very, very refreshing. And I really think this will be a movie that decades later we can look back and say that aged well. Some of it might not, like the Cardi B joke probably won't age that well, just because maybe in the future, who the f*** is Cardi B? Or maybe she'll still be big and then we'll go, oh yeah, that was a funny joke. It's like if you have kids or a little cousin or something and you show them a movie that has a that makes fun of Vanilla Ice and you're laughing because you remember Vanilla Ice, but your your child or your little cousin or little nephew, whatever, is like, oh, get that. Who's Vanilla Ice? Isn't he on the home and garden television? No, that your, your kid wouldn't say that. But I think this movie will age well. And that's impressive for a movie that's raunchy. That's imp impressive for a movie, comedy movie, that has an R rating. As our culture, as a people, as we become more aware, and God, I'm trying not to say woke, but woke, as we become more aware and woke, older movies can get cringy because we're watching it through our modern lens. We're watching it through the lens of our social understanding now. This is a movie that I believe will stand the test of time because each genre has things about it that make the passage of time not really the enemy, but the passage of time shows how old the movie is. If you remember, if you saw Jurassic Park when it came out, if you saw it when it came out in theaters, that was visually stunning. That was 
That was new technology. That was amazing. If you watch it now, still a good film. I still like it, but the CG doesn't hold up much. So more action, more sci-fi, more more genre movies like like that. Those are those are the reasons that it doesn't hold up for comedy movies, especially high school or teen comedy movies. The subject matter is what sometimes holds it back. I don't think this movie has that issue. And just brought up a very interesting fact that I'm ironically going to steal. She says that it's a very good feminist movie without coming across as tryhard. She added onto it, and thus I will I will steal further. She says, especially with the new surge of feminist movies, some of them come across as tryhard, which to me means they are already cringy. Okay, so she doesn't agree with me on the cringy front, but her point is that it's a more a more genuine movie. So A, this movie wasn't made to capitalize on the feminist trend or to push an agenda so much that you can't see anything other than it. It was a very, it went along very naturally. And also the males in the movie didn't suffer for it. All the guys weren't as like, uh, and she brought up and I agree, set it up. The movie we talked about last week, two weeks ago, well, we talked about it. The the males in that movie were shit. And you take that versus Morning Glory, which was a, I think that was a very good film because of the fact that it didn't take Rachel McAdams to go, look, this woman is going to take over this show and make it better. No, it's just, I'm a person and I'm going to do a job that nobody believes in. And the fact that they don't believe in me has nothing to do with, with the fact that I'm a woman, but guess what? I'm a woman. I'm going to get shit done. And the guys didn't suck in that. True. We had Harrison Ford's character being a huge a-hole, but that was the point. And Patrick Wilson's character didn't have much going for him at all, but it's not like they're trying to make him an asshole or something. He just didn't get a lot of character. So enough of that tangent. Well, kind of not a tangent because it's on topic, but I don't think this movie will go down in the annals of history as one of the greats of all time. It will definitely be the favorite of quite a few people. It will definitely stay in the hearts of quite a few people. But I think when we look back on it, when when someday, decades later, we go, oh yeah, do you remember that movie? We haven't watched that in a while. Let's pop it in the let's pop it in the player or bring it up on the magic streaming service. We won't cringe. And I think that says a lot. Booksmart is a very, very good movie. Booksmart did it right. One last thing, again, Anne brought this up. She has a lot to say about Booksmart, and it's true. Caitlin Deaver's character, Amy, was gay, but they didn't spend a bunch of time patting themselves on the back about it, going, oh, look at us, look how impressive we are. No, they just let it be. She was a character in a movie, just like anyone else. If you haven't seen Booksmart, watch it. It was good. It's well worth your time. It may even become one of your new favorites as far as comedies go. I know it's one of mine. Booksmart gets an 11 out of 11. All right, everyone, let us take our next break and let's hear a word from our friends at the Watch Your Mouth podcast. Then we'll be right back with Midsummer and Extraction. Please stay tuned. There are several ways to raise money for a good cause. Some do it by running marathons. Some host high dollar dinners. And some just do it by clever internetting. We here at the Watch Your Mouth podcast employ a different approach. Wall-to-wall, filthy f***ing language. Go to a grocery store, I'm like, I know exactly what I need. I get in there, I'm like, Yeah, <laughs> the f*** did I even come here for? With our charity swear jar, every f***ed up utterance from our unfettered gobs is a dime in the right direction. The motherfucker's a mouth breather. Gaming, movies, life musings, it's all here. Served on a bed of f***s and garnished with a crown of Shut the f*** up! How the f*** did we get here? F*** all that f***ing jelly bean! So if you want to hear us do good things with bad words, check out the Watch Your Mouth podcast on iTunes. SoundCloud, Facebook, or online at WIMpodcast.com. And remember, swearing is caring, so watch your mouth. All right, everyone, we are back. We are back with the final two movies. So let's start with a movie that you've already seen if you played along with us at home or, you know, if you watched it before, called Midsummer. Danny is depressed after the death of her family, so she goes with her boyfriend and his friends on a trip to Sweden as they visit the rural hometown of one of those friends for their fabled Midsummer Festival. What begins as an idyllic retreat quickly devolves into an increasingly violent and bizarre competition at the hands of a pagan cult. This stars Florence Pugh from Fighting With My Family, Jack Rayner from Sing Street, William Jackson Harper from The Good Place, and Will Poulter from The Maze Runner. 
And the guy who played the the Swedish friend, I think I think it was Pele, was it? Wilhelm Blomgren is relatively new, so that's why I didn't mention him. So yes, this is a well, this movie was classified as a horror that came out last year in July. It comes to us from our friends at A24, which we know loves their indie films. And I've come to think of them as almost the Warner Brothers or the Sony or even the Disney of independent films. And like every other movie company out there, they're they're hit or miss. This comes to us from writer-director Ari Aster. And I guess he's big enough for him to put his name all over the movie, like from writer-director Ari Aster. Let's see what this guy's done. Uh, Hereditary. Wow, that was his first big movie. He's only done short films. Nothing wrong with short films, of course. I, I always bring up stuff like that, especially when we're, when we're talking about indie films, writers, and directors. Like, oh, they've only done short movies. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with doing short films or TV or not having a big pedigree. I just bring it up more during indie films because a lot of times these people put it right in front of you. Like, like it's a selling point. Though in Midsummer's defense, they didn't plaster his name all over the trailer, so I will give him a pass for that. But Midsummer, God, I, I remember hearing about this film some, from some of my indie movie-loving friends at work, and they loved it. Because horror from the indie world is, is really a different thing. Because it gives us movies like It Follows, The Babadook, Witch... Like, those are the notable ones, because I guess technically you can count those straight-to-DVD, straight straight-to-VOD horrors with no one in it and some slasher film series you've never heard of. I guess you can count those as indie, too, because it's an independent studio. It's not tied to something bigger. But the ones that make waves are like this. They're artsy. They're very in-your-face about it. And I, after watching Midsummer, I would not call this a horror. Not at all. So if you look on the IMDb page, under where it normally has all the genres, it says drama, horror, mystery. I agree with drama. I agree with mystery. Drama, obviously. Mystery, I agree with, because during the movie, one of the big things is, what the f*** is going on in this Swedish village? What is going on? Why can't we see into this room over here? Why can't we do this? Why do we have to wait for some random time to sit down before dinner? Why do we, why do, we do any of this stuff? And why are the people of this village so welcoming and kind, but also keep us at an arm's distance? I have some friends that used to live in Utah, and they were Christian and not Mormon, and the part of Utah they lived in had a huge Mormon community, and they said everyone was super nice, everyone was super kind, they would they would do anything to help you, they were the nicest people they ever met, but there was always a feeling of that you are the outsider. That the Mormons in that community were the nicest people you'd ever want to meet, but you never really felt like you belonged. They, they would invite you to things and be the nicest people ever, but you just still kind of felt like you were on the outside looking in. So I feel like when Ari Aster wrote Midsummer, he had that kind of idea just for the baseline. Like, Okay, I know that this community that these people are going to go into to study their Midsummer Festival... They're going to be welcomed and they're going to be given food and everything they need, but they're going to feel like outsiders. And then guess what? This is a pagan cult. Shit is going to go crazy. This movie clocks in at two hours and 28 minutes. And I think that was way, way, way too long. I think if the movie was cut down by at least at least half an hour, maybe even 45 minutes, I would have given this this movie a higher score but there were there were some parts of the film that just dragged on way too long like in the beginning when Danny's worried about her family because her her bipolar sister has sent some weird message and she can't get a hold of her sister or her parents and then you find out that the sister went crazy killed the parents and killed herself by carbon monoxide poisoning and taping a hose to the like to her face and the other end was into a uh, was in a car exhaust I felt that opening scene was just a little too long. And then there were certain parts in in the village during this festival that I thought took too long, too. Some shots that were unnecessary. And I feel like the reason for dragging the film out was to add to the suspense. But all it did for me was make me look at my watch more. Or not my watch, my phone. But, you know, it made me look at the time more. And if you know me, or if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know that I have a rocky history with indie films. There's some I really love and some I hate beyond reason. But I did go into this movie prepared to like it because some people I trust liked this film. 
But even going in with those preconceived notions, even going in with rose-tinted glasses, I I still felt like it fell short. I felt the story revolving around Christian, who is played by Jack Rayner, he's Danny's boyfriend, and he was a huge ass, not like actively an asshole, not like he didn't talk down to her and hit her and stuff, but he was just kind of negligent, that kind of ass. And I felt like it didn't, it didn't do enough. It felt like his side story was a second thought that halfway through filming, Ari Aster or someone else went, I know we should have this side story with, with him, with Christian and this village girl. And it felt like it was something tacked on at the end. And I also felt that not enough was done to build the suspense because in the film, you know, there were other people besides Danny, Christian, Josh, and Mark who came in from the outside world. There were those other two, let's see, Connie and Simon, I think were their names. And one by one, all of those people would go missing and only some of them, you actually saw what happened to them. We know what happened to Josh. We saw him die. But what happened to Mark, played by Will Poulter, we could only assume. And also what happened to Connie and Simon, we can only assume. Because when they go missing and Danny or Christian or someone asked, hey, where'd they go? And you could tell that the people of this village were giving some like bullshit answer that every person they asked gave the answer in such a way that it felt rehearsed. So obviously there's something weird going on. The tension should have ramped up with each and every missing person, but it didn't. So throughout the whole movie, I didn't feel anything even remotely close to what would constitute a horror movie. And so by the end, when things started to happen, I had pieced together enough of it that it disarmed the whole thing. The things this movie had going for it was that it was beautiful and it was well shot. This small open field area where this village is, the fact that there are hardly any buildings... And the fact that there's nothing remotely close to civilization anywhere around them really added to this this idea, this feeling of Danny and all of them being alone and so far away from help. I thought that was very well done. I thought the actors that they chose for the for the villagers and all of the different rituals and stuff they had were done well enough that I didn't laugh when it was going on. It didn't feel goofy. It felt like all this could have been really based off something or it was just done well enough that I thought this is something genuine and it hit the mark. Because when you have religious rituals in a movie, it could come across more like, okay, imagine if Temple of Doom was made now and the whole Kalima scene was done now. It would be goofy as f***. I think the only reason we can go back to the Indiana Jones series and like it so much is because when we, we remember when that was a good, totally not cheesy scene. So when you have religious rituals in movies, it could come across like that. Like if it was shot now, something just goofy and unoriginal or more like what Midsummer had. But when I start thinking about what kind of score I want to give this movie, I have to look at it in two different ways. And I mainly view only these sort of indie films in these two ways. And that's because the way it's shot and the way it's presented calls for it. So you can look at this as just a bare bones movie. Like compare compare this to any other movie where you could theoretically put it along films like, oh, let's go to, back to Citizen Kane or Short Circuit 2. Those are all movies. But then you also have to look at this as a piece of art. Because I bet you the mindset and ultimate goal of someone like Ari Aster making this film versus, let's say, Justin Lin and the Fast and Furious franchise is completely different. So I think that's why you have to look at films like this in a different, under a different light. So as a film for pure entertainment purposes, I think this is horrid. I think it misses the mark entirely and I would give it a three out of 11. But looking at this as a piece of art, that's different. It's still not gonna be a really high score, I'll tell you that, but it is going to be higher than a three. It's kind of like looking at a Jackson Pollock painting and putting it next to a... Thomas Kincaid and say which one is prettier then yes Thomas Kincaid would win almost every time but if you look at it as art which one's more challenging which one says more then I think Jackson Pollock would win more of the time so what do I think of Midsummer as a piece of art I think it's good I think it had a good idea I think it didn't quite come to fruition I think it went on a little too long either that or Ari Aster didn't build up the suspense enough, didn't work with what he had enough, so the 2 hours and 28 minute length 
caused the movie to suffer. I think if it was either more compact or the director and writer worked with his medium a bit more, then I think it would have been a much better film. Hell, if he did that, I think my first score would have been a lot better. But again, I think this is a film that had a good idea behind it, but just fell a little short. I already compared this film to The Witch. That film was an hour and 32 minutes. I think if they did the same film in that time, cut out a lot of those those scenes that just didn't matter, that didn't add anything to the narrative, then I think it would have done a better job. But again, I think horror was the wrong genre to put this under. Drama suspense? Drama thriller? Maybe. Midsummer is a piece of art gets a 6.5 out of 11. And my future friends, let us wrap it up with our final film of the week, which is called Extraction. Tyler Rake, a fearless black market mercenary, embarks on the most deadly extraction of his career when he's enlisted to rescue the kidnapped son of an imprisoned international crime lord. This stars Chris Hemsworth from Home and Away, Gorshifta Farani from Patterson, David Harbour from Stranger Things, and two of the major actors in it haven't done much in America, but they are... Well, one of them has done a lot in India. It's Randeep Huda and Rudrakish Jaiswal. I- I'm very sorry for mispronouncing those. I only got did better with Gorshifta Farani because I googled how to say the name and i still can't say it but i think it's well known on the show that i i I try my best to pronounce names i do try and give it the old college try extraction is based off a graphic novel called ciudad ciudad which was co-authored by the russo brothers yes that is marvel's very own russo brothers geez i wonder how chris hemsworth got in this but it seems like that they took the idea from Ciudad, the graphic novel, and changed it up a bit. But the basic idea is the same. Someone gets kidnapped. In the in the graphic novel, it was a girl. In the movie, it's a boy. And Chris Hemsworth, obviously not in the graphic novel, but in the movie, it was Chris Hemsworth, gets sent to get her or him out. They are then trapped in the city and have to fight their way out. And unlike Midsummer. We can go into this movie looking at it one way. True, you can look at any movie as a form of art, but this one is an action thriller, and you know movies like it. Like Body of Lies, like the Bourne series, like anything with Jack Ryan in it, like the Netflix originals Triple Frontier, and uh, was that other film that was horrible? Saying thank you, Six Underground. Oh, I forgot about Two Guns. I liked that one with Denzel Washington and Mark Wahlberg. That was good. Or Sicario. Films like that. You know exactly what to expect. And there, there's good and bad with movies like this. The good is that you're more willing to forgive certain tropes because they are part of the genre. You know that it's going to be expected in a film like this, but it's also harder because you have a lot to compare it to. Like Midsummer, what are you going to compare that to? I, I bet there are a bunch of movies out there you can, but that list is going to be a whole lot shorter than Extraction. That's going to be a big-ass list. So not only does it have to do something to stand out, but it can't stray too far from the formula because then it risks not being what you signed up for. And I think this movie does a great job with it. This is fun. This is this was a good action flick. It was very dour. It was very dark, but not like, you know, the movie I always bring up Nightcrawler, not that level dark where I just felt uncomfortable and had to get out of there. It was the right amount of dark. It was a realistic amount of dark. So I think this movie did a lot of good. Not only did it fall right in line with the genre, but it wasn't just a carbon copy of another one. Oh, fun fact. One of the people who played one of Chris Hemsworth's character's um, friends is a guy named... Okay, where is he? Sam Hargrave. And you might not know him, but you've seen his work as he has done stunts on almost all of the Avengers movies. And he was a stunt coordinator on movies like The Accountant, Atomic Blonde. You've seen his work, you just probably haven't known it. But even though I like this movie more than Midsummer, I find myself not able to say more about it. Just because this is a basic action movie. You know what to expect. Oh, you know what? I can, what I can say is there are parts where the cinematography was very well done in a maybe in a nod to 1917 i guess you could say that there were a lot of shots of the action where the camera never cut away 
So we had Tyler and the kid Ovi going through the city trying not to die and the camera following them around, spinning around every which way as action's going on, but it never cut away until the end of the scene, then obviously it did. But just like a standard horror, just like a rom-com, just like a Tom Cruise or Johnny Depp film, you know if this is going to be something you like. And if you like films like this, then you'll like this one. I think this is one of the better in recent history that we've seen. And the good news is it's a Netflix original. Most of you are probably going to have Netflix. Not everyone's going to have Amazon Prime, so you might not be able to watch Midsummer. Not all of you would have the other streaming services, but you'll probably have Netflix since that is the most common. So even though we're sheltering in place, even though we're in this together, but separate and alone, you can have a new movie to watch that just dropped last week. And that film is called Extraction. And I think it's worth your watch. The acting wasn't outstanding, but it's what you would expect from this kind of film. The story was familiar, but unique. And it had good quality, entertaining action sequences. And since we don't have to put on our hoity-toity art hats to talk about this film, you can just sit back, relax, veg out, and watch an entertaining movie. Extraction gets an 8 out of 11. And with that, my future friends, it is time for the question of the week after our final break as we hear a word from our friends at We're Doing Fine with Robbie and Lisa. Please stay tuned. Hi, I'm Lisa. And I'm Robbie. And we host a show called We're We're Doing Doing Fine. Fine. We're friends from across the ocean. I'm from Scotland. And I'm from California. Join us every week as we chat about biscuits. You mean cookies. Brexit. Whatever's going on here. Who knows? Almost dying. Why we're single. Popular culture. And basically everything and anything that can distract us from this postmodern hellscape we're all living in. Because we're We're doing doing fine. fine. And we're back. We are back with the question of the week. And then I have an announcement about the next episode. So let's start with the question of the week, which was, if you could only keep one streaming service, what would it be? I did make sure to say any streaming service that includes smaller ones like CBS All Access and Peacock and what have you. So the first answer we have outside of the family, well, the only answer we have outside of the family comes to us from good old frat Matt, who says probably Netflix Uh, To which I say that is a good answer just because they're the biggest ones. So they have the most money. They can can produce the most content and get the most stuff. So now we turn to Anne who says Hulu. Not only does it have more of the shows I watch, she says, but it has the best horror movies. And then she mentioned it also has guys grocery games. But I pointed out a cheat that I had just figured out is that the Food Network app doesn't count as a streaming service because you don't pay for it. It doesn't have original content. It just shows what is showing on Food Network. And I wanted to cheat. So yeah, take that. Where CBS All Access would count because there are things you can only watch through CBS All Access and you need to pay a subscription service. So that way we can still watch Guy's Grocery Games. What's up? Now it's my answer. And I would have to say Netflix as well. Just because of the Netflix original content. That it's hit or miss, but I think it hits more than it misses. And also, how many times does something on Netflix just come out of nowhere? Stranger Things came out of nowhere. Now we have Tiger Tiger King, is that what it's called? Came out of nowhere, then everyone was talking about it. First season of American Vandal, a lot of people talked about. But how many times have you heard Hulu or Amazon Prime or something come out with something that everyone just has to see? I know they they do have their series that got really popular, but more often than not, it's Netflix. Well, thank you, Frat Matt, for answering the question. But now it's time for the next question of the week, which is along the lines of this one. So the new question is, what is your favorite original TV show or movie from a streaming service? Bonus points if you give me both. So once again, what's your favorite original TV show or movie from a streaming service? Well, my future friends, I want to make a quick announcement. Uh, I've been thinking about this for a while, and as long as all this hubbub in the world's going on, I'm going to start doing a bi-weekly show. Just because the first few episodes of this new way of doing things was a little easier because Anne and I had watched a lot of movies, and I just talked about those. But watching four new movies per week I think it's going to be a little too difficult. So we're going to start doing bi-weekly. So the next time you will listen to this silky voice will be on May 15th. And you know what? Hey, if you miss me way, way too much, let me know. And maybe we'll do two movies an episode. Maybe that would make it a little easier. So right now we're going to try two times a month 
thus bi-weekly, while all this goes on. And if I get any feedback, basically, about maybe do fewer movies but an episode each week, then maybe I'll do that. We'll see. But my future friends, that is it for episode 172 of Future Flicks with Billiam. I can't wait for things to go back to normal, just for the obvious reasons of being able to go out and do things again, but also because I do miss the old show. I miss looking up all the movies, even though that was a kind of a pain in the ass and it takes time. But I miss learning about all the films coming out and adding stuff to my ever-growing, almost never-shrinking to-be-watched list. But until then, this is the new format of the show, and I will see you next time. So here we go with the closing housekeeping. You can find me on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and any podcast app, as well as the Somewhat Nerdy website. That is somewhatnerdy.com. I would really appreciate it if you take a few minutes out of your day to give the podcast a rating. I would love five stars, please. And also share the podcast, share with your friends. That is how we grow here on the show. And then how do you reach me? That is a great question. You can leave a comment for me on the Somewhat Nerdy website or Facebook page. You can leave a comment on SoundCloud. You can hit me up on Twitter or Instagram at BilliamSWN. You can email me at BilliamReviews at gmail.com. And please consider supporting the show on Patreon. You can find a link in the show notes and also on the Somewhat Nerdy site. Be sure to check out the other shows in the network, Somewhat Nerdy Radio and Nerds of the Squared Circle. Don't forget to support the friends of the show. You've heard their ads tonight. Please check out my personal blog, BilliamTheNerd.com. And then finally, my dear friends, my dear, dear listeners, my future friends, please remember that no matter where life takes you, no matter what your week has in store, just take some time to catch a flick. I'm Billion from Somewhat Nerdy signing off, and I'll see you in the future. <laughs>